Hi, this is The View from Tab. I'm Jim Menick. I'm John Cruz. And I'm Mike Beach. And we are going to do part two of the show we started last week, which was uh, the decade in debate or something. Oh, like and that. we did the, the last show in the last decade. It's and now exciting. we're in the new decade. So um, we're using all new technology, and uh, <laughs> which I'm sure people couldn't care less about. Uh, and uh, instead of talking about debate, we're just going to talk about theory. Okay. The theory of what happened in the last 10 years, rather than anything that actually happened. Not to change the point completely, before we even get started, but did either of you see this thing that came out? Um, it's been out for a long time, but this NCFL uh, meeting that they had in September and the minutes of that meeting. You ever seen no, those? let's talk about it. it I, always, um, I always love talking about the NCFL. <laughs> they had three things of note. I just saw this today because the PF. The PF debate blog posted it, um, and I, for all I know, it just was publicized, or it's been floating around for three months. But the NCFL, after much discussion on the idea of lag pairing, which of course now they lag pair based on last year, um, they uh, <laughs> decided um, they talked about it, and it failed. And I think what their exact wording was failed miserably. Okay. And this was um, shot down in the thunder um, for whatever reason. I mean, certainly one thing about going to the CFL, the, the rounds move quickly because it's lag pair. You don't sit around. It doesn't take all that long to move, you know, because they have two hours to get it together. So anyway, that was one of the Sometimes things. Sometimes it takes two hours to find yourself on the schematic that is entirely in code. Oh, by the way, there was prof pro um, profuse apologies to uh, well, Mr. Tellicky, uh for not advancing I, I, when he should actually, have. Actually, I have to say one thing. If we are mm -hmm. going to talk about the NCFL stuff, I, I must mm -hmm. say this. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we all make tabulation mistakes. It, it, it happens all the time. Yeah. I mean, it just does. Mm -hmm. I, I have to say that the NCFL as an organization handled it incredibly yeah, no, I think they were they very publicly and, apologized. And not, not nice. just with the message, mm -hmm. but they but they were very had a very personal apology to him directly. And I was actually extremely impressed. Yeah. And so. um yeah, but they also had uh, a thing about uh disclosure. And apparently there's like, should we have disclosure? And not only are they, will they not have disclosure, but essentially uh, you'll go to hell. Okay. So this was how it was ruled. And then they had, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was L D topics, potential L D okay. topics for the tournament. And I read the first one, which I don't really remember. I think it was something about, you know, the U.S. should go to the moon or something like that. And I stopped reading. So anyhow, I posted the link to I this. Guess it, the on, the, the post feed. specifically says, a request for clarification on rules of disclosure. There is 100% agreement that the tab staff may never disclose results. Right. Keep going. And judges disclose will be addressed as incidents. Yes. You had, we have had an incident. You actually said what you were doing. <laughs> Actually, I have an NCFL story about, about disclosure that's interesting. A few years ago, I judged a round where a kid was carting evidence that wasn't really evidence. It was Victory Brief's topic overviews. Mm -hmm. Okay, Now, this, this is like the variation on the John Rawls myth, but this really happened. Okay, And I sat there. What's the John Rawls myth? John Rawls' story is the kid who, who, 
who misrepresented evidence by John Rawls at the Harvard tournament. And, and John, John Rawls was actually judging That's him. the Woody Allen movie. Come on. Yeah, there's been, yeah, there's okay. been, I, I admit some You don't know anything about Marshall been, McLuhan. I am Marshall McLuhan. Well, okay. Anyway, so this <laughs> this kid was sitting there or standing there and 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 flowing around. And it was really weird because he structured his case like very correctly. Like it sounded like a fairly, you know, quote unquote national circuit case. Anyway, so I'm judging the round and the first piece of evidence he reads is Stephen Babb of Baylor University. <laughs> I said, what? And I was a little weirded out by this. And I knew that it was from the topic overview that we put out for the NCFL. We put out a complimentary topic overview. So I'm what was really awkward was the, the girl who he was debating against knew who I was, but he mm-hmm. didn't know who I was because we had to have judge codes, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting there. He judges. He he says, "Well, you know, the Stephen Babb at Baylor University, blah, blah blah." So I'm mm-hmm. starting to flow, and I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> then it was Doug Weeb of Harvard University. Mm-hmm. And then as he was reading this, I said, "Uh oh, wait a second. I think I know who is next." John Cruz of Vassar <laughs> College. <laughs> so I'm. I hope you picked him up. I mean, you know. Let's see what happens. So then, so then the opponent knows who I am. And she gets up and says in cross X, where did you find this evidence? And so he he actually said something like, Well, these are three three represented or three three people affiliated with three very fine American colleges or some bizarre, you know, <laughs> thing like that. So she gets up in the the next rebuttal and says, Okay, well, I'm gonna have to indict the the Bab and Weeb evidence, but I'm not gonna get, say anything against the cruise evidence as a joke. <laughs> the kid doesn't understand that I am the person in question and then gets up and starts blabbering that she has dropped the cruise evidence and therefore I should vote on it. So at the end of the round, I said, and I felt that I needed to say this. And I said, you know, uh, I am John Cruz actually. And I am not qualified to be quoted in your case, blah, 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 blah. I think you really need to change this around. Otherwise there's going to be, you know, there's gonna be a serious problem. I can't vote for evidence, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then the other two judges started screaming at me that I had disclosed and influenced their decisions, and they shouldn't have known that the evidence was not real. And it was the weirdest experience ever. I was actually chastised by these judges for telling this boy that he shouldn't be running evidence like that. Uh, I thought does that, that mean weak. that they officially endorsed using the victory? Well, that's briefs? what. I- <laughs> That's what I asked, I, I, but they actually got... Uh, the, the, the theory you're, you're, is they you're, brought you're, the Cruz evidence and you didn't, you know? <laughs> they were... I have never seen judges get so angry at a fellow judge in the panel. It was ridiculous. And, but the, you know, you're not allowed to disclose, so what can I say? Okay, anyway, so... Uh, all right, the, back to the... <laughs> what, why can't, what is the argument against disclosure? I, I've never understood this. So let me, let me actually explain one, one issue with why not disclosing is ridiculous. I'm going to just give my quick opinion. Oh, by the way, let's hear This is good. This is sort of the decade because at the beginning of the decade, unquestionably, disclosure was not that commonplace. There's certainly disclosure. By the end of the decade, you have to go out of your way not to find disclosure. Okay, Okay, here's here are my thoughts on disclosure really quickly because I think Beats' fairly loaded question is dead on. I do not see a, a, a possible reason to say that you shouldn't have disclosure. Here are the issues, I think, that come up when you don't have disclosure. First off, um, and, and you know, again, I, I need to preface this by saying tab errors happen. In fact, the tab error I'm most embarrassed about to this day prevented uh, Jim Menix, top debater at the tournament, from clearing uh, at, at, at an event, and I was very embarrassed that I, that I caused that problem. So these kinds of things happen, uh, and, and I'm I mean, no ill will against the, the folks who, who run you know, the tournaments when this happens. But 
having disclosure just prevents errors. For, for example, yeah, the more people know what's going on, the sure. you, or I mean, it, yeah. it corrects errors. I mean, yeah, exactly. Too, yeah. Some some tournaments, I mean, you know, the NCFL is included in those New York State tournaments. I mean, these tournaments don't have disclosure and elimination rounds, right? So you have to wait until some sort of assembly afterwards or some sort of posting. I had a debater last year at a tournament that didn't have disclosure and elimination rounds pick up an out round and then not advance because the ballot was entered incorrectly. That's I mean, so that's just ridiculous, you know, and, and it's not ridiculous that an error could happen because an error can happen. Errors, right? I don't question the errors. It's easy. I make, we make them all it's the that, time. It's that, it's that not having disclosure would have, you know, is what caused that error to, to go on. I mean, a that is lot the most of what we have done over the last decade in TAB is come up with things to help catch mistakes because sure. mistakes are always going to happen. So we do this thing that we post the results after every round and we encourage people to disclose and so forth okay. and so on. And one real benefit of that is, you know, the judge said I won and well, the ballot doesn't right. say, it, and we can figure out what's going on exactly. here when these things happen. And, and uh, you know, from that perspective alone, I, as far as I'm concerned, and, and, and I'm not, again, this is not an individual criticism of any particular individuals, but as far as I'm concerned, with that argument presented in favor of disclosure, at that point, if you are against disclosure, you are essentially saying that you are free of errors, right? Because, because, you, because that is the ultimate check on you, and I don't see how a person could possibly be opposed to it. Not to mention the obvious educational benefits of knowing how a, a judge came to a win or a loss, how you could have done something better. I just I cannot understand the the need to not have communication between individuals. And and and, and just as a, a last aside, a, a lot of people who a, a lot of us talk about preparing people for the real world and, and problems with how debate doesn't do that. Getting disclosure prepares you for the real world. Okay, if if, if a person is a professional public speaker, you'd better believe that their advisors are getting poll data and they're getting uh, feedback from audiences afterwards, right? That's how that's that's how the real world functions. I mean, that's what a review is. That's what a preview is. All these kinds of things. Getting feedback is an essential part of reality, and I I just cannot fathom reasons for why people would be against it. I, I mean, I think Beats is. Uh, I think it case. may boil back to. The earliest days of LD, when you had a lot of parent judges who may not have been comfortable explaining well, what bizarre, you know, even, thought even process led well, to the decision. So. Well, I have two things about that. Even if that's true, first off, uh, I think at this point, oh yeah, we're not. Again, there I'm not now. calling out specific. I'm not calling out specific things or anything like that. But at this point, in my mind, having that mentality as a reason, you know, whether you admit it or not is evidence that you are, un that you are embarrassed by the, the judge quality that you're bringing to tournaments, which is mm -hmm. a possibility. But even if that were true, and I, and I actually do sympathize that it is sometimes difficult to, uh, you know, clearly articulate a decision immediately after the round, there can be a lot of pressure. That's just all the more reason to post results after. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you really, you know, again, I, I just, it's just, all this is inconceivable to me. And if you don't want to post results for kids to see, at least have them in a place where the, the coaches can see. Which was a practice that does go back. I mean, I know sure. Bronx before you, before we were born was doing yeah. that. Yeah. I, yeah. I think I think it's very important to have that kind of transparency. Yeah. And I do think that's one of, I think that may that may actually be the most positive development in debate over the course of the last decade is the is the move towards more and more and more disclosure. Partly, oh, I, th there's one thing that's very true, and this goes even earlier, I think, than the decade. But um, when I first got into the activity back in the you know mid '90s, one thing that was absolutely true was half the time the computer crashed. Um, 
there almost it seemed as if every tournament at some point went into a spin for whatever reason. Um, and I think this was back when it was PC on the Mac, and it was not so much the software as the hardware and the operating system. But whatever the situation may have been, this was a regular occurrence. And you remember those, you would go to tournaments and all of a sudden there would be this two hours where nothing sure. happened, you know? Yeah, um, our local so tournaments all the time too. Yeah, and... You know, again, no, not through anybody's fault necessarily. Yeah, no, I mean, I've, I've been in those situations where the computer has crashed back then. And when I was first learning... Um, yeah, how to work in Tavis. It's back when we did the Metro Hudson League, formerly the Mid-Hudson League. Um, and we would do it on cards, and then we were slowly, uh, we had maybe 30 or 40 people in a division. Doing it by cards was very simple. And then um, we were doing it on the computer as well, but the, you know, usually the computer died halfway through for whatever reason. Um, and then when it the, became uh, TRPC, uh, that seemed to go away. I mean, certainly you have a problem. The software isn't perfect, but um, you, you, it'll stop working. But it doesn't crash completely and you lose all your data or anything like that unless you really go out of your way to do that. I guess it could be done. But you don't hear that. We don't have those two hours uh, where nothing's happening at tournaments well, and anymore. Back then, I mean, you had to re reboot a computer for everything. I mean, yeah. right. mm -hmm. closed a program, you had to reboot the computer. So. Yeah, uh, and that that and the, the computers back then didn't boot up very quickly either. And if, but there's yeah. one thing though. I mean, learning to and we talk about this every now and then. Learning to tab on cards was a good thing because uh, a lot of tournaments, a lot of tabbing. I do. I would say every tournament, um, not every tournament, maybe every other tournament. I have some small division or some bizarre division that I have to do by cards. And it's real nice to have been raised sure. knowing how to do that. I like to have other people. We all need to know what the computer is doing rather than just entering data and having the computer do it. We see new people will come along. If I can give any advice to anybody who ever wants to run a tournament, don't tab it yourself until you've learned how to tab from somebody else because um, it looks like it works really smoothly, but it requires arcane controls sure. of that software. Um, the um, tab, you know, only a fool tabs their own tournament. In other words, direct to your tournament. You don't do anything. If you're the tournament director. You don't do anything except direct the tournament. Yeah, don't be sitting at the computer. No time for that. All right. So, what are the other things that we laugh? We talked about the evolution of the activity. You guys were going to talk a bit about some of the um, high points of the wonderful ten sure. years we just survived. Uh, you want to start, John? Sure. Okay. Um, I think that, well, okay. Two things I want to say about this. First off, uh, you know, it goes without saying that I love debate history. I think that it's fascinating. I think that having an institutional memory for the activity is both important and can be inspiring for younger kids. I think that, uh, I think that's very good to, to know where debate has come from. Actually, very recently, Bill Batterman posted this incredibly awesome piece on the 3NR, uh, a very good policy debate uh, website. Very good. I uh, yeah, I yeah. love the 3NR. Do it's a, it's I a follow fantastic it website. And I think, and I think uh, LD debaters should take a look at it uh, on a regular basis. Very good. And, and I have to say, um, I over the course of the uh, quite a while, actually, I've sort of fallen by the wayside with an, a column I did on VBD that I really enjoy writing, Ask Cruz, but I sort of fell into a, a, a slump with it. And this, I know. Every time article, you used to do one, I got to yeah, do a parody. I exactly. really miss so it myself. So parodies coming back. The NBA one has inspired me. I, I have to. I really have to do something on the level of what Bill Yeah, I saw his thing for the NBA. So, 
Uh, but, but all these articles got me thinking because I've written a lot before about the long-term history of Lincoln Douglas debate. Uh, one thing that I've you know enjoyed writing about often gets a response are who are the powerhouses of different decades. Um, you know, clearly Vestavia and uh, Hills and Valley are I think are, are pretty much unquestionably the powerhouses of the nineties. You can Apple like, Valley, Apple, Apple Valley, Valley, yeah, Apple Valley. Uh, Miami Palmetto. I mean, these are schools that really dominated throughout the 90s. and the 80s, Regis, Bronx Science, uh, really, really strong programs. Uh, Wellington, North Miami Beach, those kinds of teams in, in the 80s, unquestionably dominant. So we've reached the end of the aughts, as I will properly call them, the first decade of the 21st century. And so, of course, the, the, uh, the question will start to rise. Who are the powerhouses of the first decade of the 21st century? Who were the Vestavias, the Regises, the Bronx Sciences, the Valleys, the Apple Valleys, etc.? And I think that there are a lot of strong teams to, to note. Um, I think that one of the top teams, and, and, and certainly in terms of, of incredible records uh, beaten and, and, and set that Perhaps you know I, I can't I can't fathom when they will when they will be broken next. Are I think Adina, coached by our very own Mike Beats, should be noted. Uh, I think that the accomplishment of winning the TOC and winning NFL Nationals in the same year is unbelievable. I think that you know everybody always cites that, but I have to say, and I hope Beats isn't blushing too much, but I have to say that the the achievement that still blows me away is closing out the Glenbrooks two times in a row. That's unbelievable. I mean, I, I, there are uh, many same people I, or different people. One was the same person, right? Because it was Nick Green and John McNeil, and then John McNeil and Jed Glickstein. That's unbelievable. Um, and I think that in terms of career-defining coaching achievements, that's got to be pretty pretty huge. And uh, Adina's run uh, under Beats' tutelage and, and past Beats' tutelage too. Yeah, it, it, it really continues. Has, it continues is a very very strong team. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm one thing. I mean, of, when you talk about the teams of the earlier, for the most part, those teams. Um, well, the teams are still around. Some of them are, but it's a lot of them are. But they, they did lose their the, the mm-hmm. people who were leading them at the sure. time. So if there's any question that coaching has some effect. Yeah, absolutely, and know. and I have to say that Adina has been you know has been wise with its choices since then. I think that I think that uh, Beats really set up a, an incredibly strong program. And you know, needless to say, when when Beats left and went out to California, there were, you know the, it wasn't that there was so much of the doubt that Adina would continue, but it became a, a big guessing game of who would come in at the very, very beginning, at least, right? Uh, and I think that the a dynasty, as it has become, come to be known in, in some circles, uh, right, rightly earns a place among the very strongest teams of this past decade. Incredible achievements. I think that you should continue being the, uh, being the, uh, the expert that you are on this. I mean, if I were going to throw out, if I were going to throw some out, and you can comment more on specifics. Sure. But just at, at, at the top, off the top of my head, um, you would ha- I think that you would have to say early on, mm-hmm. um, uh, there was um, teams from, um, uh, call it, when, was, when was the, well, I guess college prep, college prep was more the 90s. than the 90s. College prep but, but, was more but than incredibly 90s. strong. I mean, that, 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 yeah. should be, that should be noted that, uh, college prep certainly is one of the top teams in the '90s. I mean, when I was um, saying those teams before, I was obviously not all inclusive lists. Yeah, I mean, then then you also have Scarsdale. Sure. You have uh, who you know have they dom- They, I mean, they've yeah. they've 
how how many years in a row have they qualified someone to the TOC? It has oh, to be Scarsdale has been years and years. Uh, oh two, oh three. I mean, the the Scarsdale qualifying nine people to the TOC is unbelievable. I mean, yeah. right? I mean that first off, that beats a record. Uh, the previous record for that was set by Regis, you know, also from New York. But that record was set over a decade before when Scarsdale beat it, right? So that was a long-standing record, and Regis's record was seven. Now, interestingly, Walt Whitman High School has already qualified eight people fully to the TOC so far this year, which right. is pretty unbelievable. And the season isn't over, uh, but nine, even if that record were to be beaten, qualifying nine people to me is an almost inconceivable feat. I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing, amazing accomplishment. And Joe Vaughn uh, and his entire squad, and that's something to be very proud of. You have Apple Valley, the whole, I mean, oh, they yeah. hold over for the 90s and... And actually, really, Apple Valley, yeah, I mean, Apple Valley, not only a holder from the 90s, but from the early 90s. I mean, Apple Valley really had an amazing streak. I was thinking about how many years uh, in in, in a row Apple Valley broke people at the TOC, how many years in a row Apple Valley uh, competed in the NBA round robin, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, those are are all amazing achievements. Yeah, I mean, that's one of those programs where, you know, there's always talk of, well, what's going to happen now that this person graduated and it doesn't. You know, it, it doesn't take much, and sure. and they're back. And then uh, the same thing with Green Hill. You can always count on them having someone, someone in late rounds. I mean, absolutely. For for Green Hill, it's got to be both in policy and LB. Yeah. I mean, in terms of a full program. Um, and and one thing uh, I have to say about about Green Hill that I think is really impressive is that that Green Hill, I think, has uh, has also frequently been a mover and a shaker in terms of Lincoln Douglas debate, like really setting the tone for certain kinds of arguments. Uh, mm. Being inventive with arguments, right? I mean, if you if you had to, and this is a whole separate category, I guess. Talk about programs that have helped change Lincoln Douglas debate. Certainly, Green Hill uh, and Aaron Timmons, Neil Conrad, that entire group uh, of, of coaches and kids have, have really, you know, I, I think put a higher standard on evidence in Lincoln Douglas debate. Certainly, a, a big leader in that, uh, and, and done so in a, in a really impressive manner. Well, and and also just in terms of. I think that, and and not to, none of this discussion is to disregard anyone else, but oh, sure. um, just the amount of work that oh, yeah. the, that they have. I mean, them knowing who your authors are and them oh, knowing yeah. your authors better, and so on. That you know that would that the Greenhill is is top notch at that. I, I mean, uh, I'll say this for the for the sake of full disclosure. Okay, and I'm not embarrassed to admit that we say this in practices when we try to come up with really inventive positions at Bronx Science. The question we ask ourselves in terms of like, you know, if this is going to be the case we break in a crucial round, the question we ask is, would Greenhill have evidence against us? And I'm not joking that that's the question we ask. I have no problem admitting that because I consider Greenhill to basically be the gold standard in terms of preparation. I mean, it's just phenomenal, inspiring levels of preparation, right? Yeah. And, 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 and I say that I, – I mean that really seriously. Like I, I, I mean I, I think that, that people uh, – need to acknowledge how how fantastic the level of preparation that team has and it's it's amazing and and that is a real life skill in terms of yeah. uh preparation when did they go to school <laughs> oh, seriously i mean not just them there are plenty of people around i mean not even just forget how much preparation goes into it who i see every weekend um and if i if i don't see them that's because they're somewhere else that's even longer Every weekend. When did these kids go to school? I mean, I, 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 I'm amazed well, that they they all don't end up homeless or something from being out of that, high school. Some of these guys, I, mean, I, just, I guess it's talking about Green Hill. I mean, I you know I obviously don't know the the, the school schedule situations and stuff like that. But 
not all of these teams have kids who compete every single weekend. Right? That's right. I mean, these kids are are and, and 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 that's not to say that they're only competing in you know, elite quote unquote tournaments, but they're but they're spending time preparing for each and every tournament, not just sort of going. Yeah, but there are kids who do virtually sure, every tournament. Oh yeah, there are kids that I mean. I mean, Matt Dene last year traveled to lose. I mean, I, I was just reviewing how many times he went to tournaments last year. It's, you can do it and, and do well at them, but it's uh, – Who was it? Nick Tourville, where I think yeah. he got bids, two bids two bids in one weekend or something. <laughs> <laughs> now that's doing it. Now that's an achievement. Well, I do know that Nick Tourville was at the Victory Brees tournament. Then I think the Victory Brees round robin went home the next day, competed at the – uh, right. section tournament the for section tournament. the section state qualifiers <laughs> in Minnesota, and then went to NBA or something like. Didn't he go to yeah. NBA? I don't know. Did it was NBA. like yes, it was like he like debated he six days straight. Uh, so I mean, there are kids that that make those choices that uh, you know debates their thing. But there you know, is uh, something about debating i mean i one of the things i always do when i have new kids at the very beginning of the years i have because i can't do this and only the kids who love debate and they love debate can explain well they can't explain it but at least they can share the excitement they just love doing this thing very strange they can they can do it every day to more and more people it's it's more like it's 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 less and it's less like a club oh yeah than like chess or math obviously but it's not even a lot like like a sport, like a team sport, like a school mm-hmm. sport, but it's more like a when you're on a traveling team yeah. or when you decide that you're going to... lifestyle. It becomes a life. Right. Or when you decide that you're going to be on one of those, uh, you know, those, those, those tennis clubs or one of those, you know, one of those, those, those kids who decides that they're going to make their life this, that this is going to define what their high school experience is going to be, is going to be debate. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's a cool activity. Uh, a couple of other programs, um, uh, you know, in the early, in the early, in the early two thousands, you had a lot of, um, you had like Tommy, you had a lot of good duos, right? Sure. You had like Tommy and who, Tommy and who was his teammate? Steve. Well, that was a trio. That was Tommy, Steve and, and, uh, Joey Seiler, right? Uh, From where? From From Westwood. Westwood? Mm -hmm. Texas. Yeah. Westwood. And then Tommy yeah. Clancy, I mean, you know, talk about somebody who, who then went on to be not only a phenomenal coach, but somebody who certainly has influenced the activity. I mean, Tommy Clancy, for sure. Yeah, and then, and then you had uh, uh, other, you had, uh, it seemed like, you know, it, I, I, I try to emphasize this on, to, on my team, team too, that, it, that when they have these, when, when, if one yeah. of them has a tendency to want to try to do things on their own or, <laughs> or not share stuff or, you know, think that LD is truly an individual event. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the 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 people that are able to propel themselves are those that have a teammate. I mean, if you yeah. just look, you see, you see uh, who are the Prashant and Stephen Hess. You have yes, definitely. Andrew Garvin and Vikram. You have um, um, Chris, uh, or excuse me, Tim Hogan and Chris Bentley, John and Jed and Nick. You have, I mean, a lot of the a lot of the greats were greats because of who they had around them. And I, I, well, actually, Jim and I were just talking about this last week. I think that this is true in any team. I think that it is so important to have uh, – if you have a really strong debater, that strong debater is only going to get stronger by having a 
a teammate who who wants to be as strong because then they're going to just push against each other in a, in a friendly way. I think. Yeah, no, there's a good dynamic, the dialectic, whatever. Yeah. yeah, super important. And I think as a side note, Beats just mentioned two other programs that strongly deserve uh, attention. Uh, Mountain View Los Altos is a combined team, right? Two different schools working together. Right, they're the uh, district, kind of like was that Lakeland does that too, right? Where yeah. they're a district. Yeah, right? yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, that really, I mean, that's that's an amazing program. I mean, Eric Palmer uh, and company, Stephen Hess, uh, now Daniel Kalesi, Chris Katterman, continuing the tradition. I think that that is a, a really strong team with a very strong run with quite a few debaters. And, and actually, one thing that I have to say about the Mountain View Los Altos team is that they had obviously extremely significant success on the national circuit. But actually, if you look at uh, their 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 uh, participation and success more regionally is also quite impressive. And like on the novice level up to the varsity level, very impressive teamwork. Uh, yeah. I have to say is... Uh, is is also quite inspiring. Well, and and the fact that that the primary argument coach, I mean, was Eric Palmer, who you know was a, was a full time college student, sure, um, and I think graduated from Pomona in three years, and you know, which which means that he wasn't taking any easy course load, and it was remotely, right? He didn't he didn't have he didn't practice. Um, he didn't practice. He didn't do practice. Uh, he wasn't able to, you know, to go to daily practices or anything like uh-huh. that. And it was all done, sort of in this in this remote way, and then meeting at tournaments and things like that. And that, <clears throat> you know, that that's become something that's become a new, a new common sure. practice. And well, I the internet has clearly, yeah, the internet has clearly changed. Uh, yeah, and they uh, certainly, uh, you know, show that it can be done. Um, that that you can have that 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 method. I think that you have to have especially motivated debaters and I think Prashant and Steven and and the rest of the team certainly were but but to be able to to reach like the highest of high levels um you know sort of just with the coaching taking place that way is is incredible too I agree um I think uh well there are there I mean there are, there are so many programs that we can name uh like I said Mountain View Los Altos Mission San Jose had a very strong run for uh, for a period of time, the begin the earlier part of the decade, uh, also strung out of California. I think that it, it should be noted that uh, certainly in the Northeast uh, and and on a national level, uh, our very own Jim Menick and Hendrick Hudson had a very strong run that started in the late '90s and continued into the beginning part of the decade uh, until Chris Tice repeated at Apple Valley. Henhud uh, uh, was the only school to have two back-to-back Green Hill Round Robin champions. Uh, you know, between Noah and Wedrow, uh, Claire, that whole group. There's a very, very strong group of people who uh, continue to be pretty legendary in, in many circles. Um, let's see, who else can we be naming? I'm sure we're leaving out some. Somebody is going to. Well, I hope somebody well, writes. Well, we can, we can, we can talk about some individuals too, just because. Oh wait, wait. Oh, actually, the, I want to say one other team that, that I think is important to mention. And it's the very last part of the decade, but but sort of as I guess the preview of the ne- of the tens. I, I I don't see how we can't mention Walt Whitman. I mean, what 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 Aunt John and Company has done that is inspiring. Okay, uh, now you want to talk about a team that competes successfully on all levels, on all weekends, at all kinds of tournaments. I mean, Walt Whitman. Yeah, it's just amazing. Uh, amazing. And again, you know, this is the latter, I realize it's the latter part of the decade and whatnot, uh, but. But that success was there. I mean, that success was building, and 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 the payoff this season has just been so you know, obviously so far. I mean, the season could end right now for Walt Whitman, and it's still one of the strongest team wide seasons ever, right? I mean, just yeah. unbelievable. Uh, Absolutely, um, yeah. Um, I think this decade too. I mean, you probably want to talk a little bit about who the most successful debaters were sure. uh, individually as well. 
Um, certainly, Chris Tice um, would would have to be in the conversation winning the TOC twice. Um, Jake Nebel probably. Jake Nebel Jake definitely. Uh, Chris Tice definitely. Uh, I think. Well, I'm thinking over the decade. Obviously, uh, John McNeil, Jed Glickstein, yeah, Nick Green, an incredible uh, run. Doug Jeffers yeah. had an incredible run. Uh, I'm trying to think who else we could. We Weren't there be. any girls in the activity? It's as a sad commentary of, of. You know, the '90s <laughs> was almost. I mean, the '90s. The '90s was were, a girl decade. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was. If you really think about the girl it, decade, the I girl, remember it well. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> It's pretty amazing to think of, of, of how girl-oriented uh, the very top levels of – and, of course, you know, there are a lot of successful guys as well. But uh, but if you look over the results, it is – I mean, I don't know that that says anything or not. But I don't think – I mean, I look at the – I mean, I look at a sea of faces. They look about oh, wait, roughly the same well, percentage second, they always were. Wait, yeah. I'm sorry. I, I want to interrupt and say another team that should be known as Hockaday. Uh, I think oh, that, what yeah, are we saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm sorry. Yes. So, Obviously, I, I think I think Stacey Thomas – Yeah probably deserves coach of the decade. I yeah, mean, I, I think that there's, there's a very strong argument for, for Stacey Thomas being the, the, the top coach of the decade. I agree with Beats. I think that, uh, I was thinking about that as I was driving over here, yeah. that if you say coach of the decade, it would, I mean, Stacey would, would be on the extremely short list. She had sure. three national finalists in a row. Was yeah, it? I mean, the, the three national finals in a row, first off, I think most people don't understand that's never been done before. And I'm not even sure that there has been a school that has had three finalists. I've done yeah. some reading this. I'm missing one or two years, but I'm, I'm prepared to make an ass cruise statement and say that uh, Stacey Thompson is the only person to have ever coached three people to the final round, three different people. So yeah, that, and it's not that, like it was one good person that, that sure. you know, lightning in a bottle, but right. it was... I, I mean, just, just a few weeks ago, Hockaday did something that I have never heard of. I mean, I've joked about before. Bronx Science is a huge team. We know we've had a good share of success, and I always say this should be our goal. But Hockaday actually did what I consider to be an almost impossible goal and closed out a tournament in the quarterfinal round. I mean, that is unbelievable. Hockaday has success, has had, you know, has had and continues to have success on every level of debate in every kind of tournament. Uh, I think it's amazing that Hockaday could go to virtually any part of the country and do very well. Uh, and, and again, what, what Beats is saying is correct. These are this is a team that has had many different successful debaters, and it should also be noted, of course, that Stacy didn't begin the decade at Hockaday, but when she was at SF Austin, she also coached debaters to very significant success. Yeah, so, I mean, she had uh, uh, another female debater, or well, Elizabeth Hathaway, and then uh, Will Palmer. Sure, um, were were very very good debaters. Um, yeah, and I mean, it also be argued. It's one other interesting thing I want to say about Stacy. I'll make this the Stacy hour. But one of the one other thing I want to say about Stacy Thomas, who who who, you know, for the sake of full disclosure, I adore her and I think I think she's a fantastic person. Uh, one thing that's interesting about Stacy is a question that often is posed to me is how many very successful debaters become very successful coaches, and we've often noted. Here, well, not here, but elsewhere, that oftentimes it is not the, the most successful debaters who become very successful coaches. But Stacy actually was quite a successful debater in her own right. I mean, she didn't uh, have an opportunity to travel very much, but she was her state champion in high school in the late '80s, and has uh, and, and has remained active and very, very successful. And I, and I, you know, I, I obviously can't speak for Stacy and be her voice in terms of what where her coaching success comes from. But I, she's an incredibly hard worker, and I think 
on some level, having been a very successful local debater, she, she has been able to infuse in her team a respect for all different types of debate at all different types of levels. And it, it is certainly no wonder then that Hockaday is a team that's produced three finalists at the NFL National Tournament, uh, very top-level success at the TOC, and, turn, and, and success at tournaments all over. Pretty incredible team. Yes. So there, so there's where the girls are. There's the girls. Thank <laughs> Not you. Not just okay. at Hockaday, but yes, but 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 Hockaday certainly has produced a very successful uh, batch of girls. Um, I think. Let's see. We've. So yeah, I I think I think, uh, I, I think uh, Ryan Cooper, uh, winning both St. Marks and Greenhill, pretty incredible achievement. Um, David Wolfish, somebody who who. Uh, yeah is one of the all-time most successful debaters. Uh, I think also uh, certainly somebody who uh, emphasized evidence and whatnot in rounds uh, uh, and also had an appeal to a lot of different kinds of judges. I mean, D- yeah. David, David's range was pretty incredible, I think. Uh, and, 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 yeah, that was pretty outstanding, outstanding range. I think Daniel Murner, too. I mean, he was, in a, he was in a lot of good rounds. I think his senior year he didn't even debate – you know, the first semester. and uh, Daniel you know, Murner, when he was a junior, just as a, quite a-, a quick anecdote, uh, and, and, you know, I direct the Vassar Round Rob, and he came out to the Northeast and debated there. And I walked by a room, and, I, you know, I heard, it, uh, and I heard him debate, and I had seen him debate before that, but, but uh, I was amazed round by round how completely differently he was able to debate in front of different I mean, I, I mean totally differently. Like I didn't even know it was Daniel when I walked by uh, the, the round after that because his range was just so amazing in terms of adapting to judges. And he really uh, – he debated Jake, I remember, in the final round that year. Uh, and he really had an incredible sweep at that tournament. And, and, and you know, certainly that was one of only many, 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 many achievements that he went on to, to many bigger things. But that, that, at that time, I got the sense that this is a debater with unbelievable range. Yeah, I mean, someone that's gonna that we're gonna probably be talking about is uh, Josh Roberts too. He's a junior this year, and yes. I mean, he had a, a great sophomore season, and uh, you know, is is poised to have a very good junior season, and already has. And then, what is he already has? Was he in the finals of? Well, he won the Victor Breeze tournament, and then where did how did he finish at the Glenbrooks? Uh, see, what I think he that he was. Did he go deep at the Glenbrooks? Hasn't he been deep at a number of tournaments? Yeah, he's, I mean, he's had an incredible year so far. I mean, yeah. uh, the other thing I have to say, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how much we're going to comment on, on on current debaters and whatnot, but yeah. since you're mentioning Josh, I do want to give one one shout out that I think is important. Josh Roberts and actually the whole Northwood Christian team, which is a, a, another team to be looking at because they really what they have accomplished in such a short period of time is is pretty pretty impressive. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's that is a serious that is a team where the, a bunch of people got together and basically said I want to have a top team so we're gonna make a top team I mean yeah. uh, you know and 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 virtually out of nowhere uh, and and also there's a team that that places a lot of emphasis on on local debate as well as national debate which I think is great and and, and having a big team opportunity big for team. kids big team yeah. uh, Josh got I mean that is somebody who is also just the paragon of modesty and. Uh, and, and, and going out of his way to to just be a good guy at, at debate tournaments uh, has really impressed me with his character. I think that again is reflective of the whole team. That Northland Christian, in addition to being one of the strongest teams in the country, is certainly in the running to be one of the nicest teams in the universe. Yeah. Right? I mean, wow. Uh, and oh yeah, I, that's what I want to say about that. Just just really really impressive. Last year, uh, uh, Josh at round seven at the TOC was debating my debater Matt. It was the 
it was a very close round. That was actually the, the longest decision I have ever experienced in a Lincoln Douglas debate round. I mean, that, that went on for seemingly for, for ages and ages. Uh, and, you know, this was a crucial round. It was a down two rounds, round seven at the TOC. It does not get more emotional than that. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we were lucky to be, to be the winners in that round. And Josh was the very first person to congratulate uh, Matt. For, for breaking the TOC. And to me, that that was at the TOC, you know, that that is a tournament where emotions run very high. So that yeah. that was that was very gracious and not only very gracious, but but like I said, uh, very reflective of an entire team. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, uh, I think uh, Matt Shields. People... Matt Shields oh, is yeah. somebody who, who who absolutely needs to be mentioned. First off, uh Scarsdale, like we said, has, has had a really amazing run and they've had few years where they've had people just own tournaments in the Northeast. Doug Weeb, another person, David Lebowitz, both of these people, uh, in addition to Matt, really owning the area, but also having a lot of success outside of it as well. Matt Shields uh, won just an amazing string of tournaments in his region, went out to have top awards and top finishes elsewhere. I think he was in semis of Greenhill. He's the top speaker at the Glenbrooks. Uh, really, really incredible, incredible career. And doing so, uh, much like Doug Jeffers, who I mentioned before, uh, while debating in a style that was, you know, I guess seen as more traditional, uh, but still able to take on styles that were seen as less traditional. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, I, I think I think that that is very cool, actually, that over the course of this decade that we've seen still a diversity of styles in debate. Uh, I, I think both of those debaters exemplify that. Jim? What? I'm Jim. awake. I'm here. What? What? <laughs> Jim's listening. He's. Uh, I'm, I'm listening. He's enjoying this. I know what he's doing. Yeah, he's no, no I, I was. I was on my Wii playing uh, Tiger oh, Woods nice. golf. What? <laughs> no. Uh, you know. I, I mean, there is. Uh, I'm the least. Um, inter- I don't want to say interested. It's not like I'm not interested. Sure. And I like these people and all this kind of stuff. But I. I barely remember half the people you're talking Jim about Bennett judged a, a pretty epic round between Doug Jeffers and Ryan Cooper round one of the TOC, as I recall a few years ago. I remember that. Well, I remember every round I've ever judged. I mean, there's no question about that, but um, I don't remember what you guys just said the last five minutes. That's know, rough. Okay. <laughs> rude. Okay. Although, is that my first rude on this podcast? It rude. could be, you know, we'll uh, make that our call sign or whatever uh, look. for the future. All right. We've covered a lot of schools. We've covered, a lot of people. We certainly covered trends and things like that. I mean, is there something that else that really um, has happened? Look, that say, we should let me mention? let me say one quick thing that 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 I want to say about these teams and, and and whatnot. One thing that's important: Beats is right. Computers and the internet have definitely changed the way coaching happens. But I remain convinced that in terms of long-term success, this decade has still proven that a strong head coach and a strong team is the way to have continued success. That's the other way around works too. I mean, as soon as you have coaches retire or whatever, poof. I'm sorry. I know that, you know, I, I, and I did, you know, more individual coaching when I was younger and whatnot. Now I, I coach a very large team. I've seen all sides of the story. I, I remain 100% convinced that despite the the calls that you know the 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 era of a Dukes and a Bailey and a Sadako and company and those kinds of people is over, we're still seeing strong teams, strong head coaches. Uh, yeah, there's I, always going to be I, new people. There's, there's, uh, well, well, maybe I, I hope there's. I'm going to use people. I'm going to use Beats as an example again. Okay, uh, and, and you know this is certainly again none of this is to discredit the, the obvious incredible hard work of individual debaters. I don't kid myself for a moment, no. for example, that 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 my own debaters aren't working incredibly hard as are all three of our debaters. But but uh, Beats 
restarted the program at Harvard Westlake, hmm. and now the program at Harvard Westlake is one of the top teams in the country. Yeah, okay? I, I, to, to, but what you just said, I mean, kids. There are kids that can actually survive and do very, very well as mavericks, um, and then go away and never hear about them again, whatever. Um, but you know, that's that's an unusual thing, and and certainly the the, the coaching requires kids that are good debaters. I mean, you can help them and you can do a yeah. lot of stuff, but the, the kids do the real sure. work. They yeah. win the round. And, okay. And actually, yeah. I, I want to say one, one more thing to this because I just thought of a, a, another team that I do want to give a shout out to and I think it's important. Um, I also think it's cool that there have been uh, fairly younger people who have started coaching and then remained coaching. Um, I think I think, frankly, what Christian Tarzani has done at St. Louis Park is really mm-hmm. impressive. Um, you know, St. Louis Park has produced debaters who have accumulated incredible numbers of bids, so a lot of attention gets placed on the top debater, Catherine Tarzany, Nick Torville, you know, stuff like that. But St. Louis Park also has a big team, and they debate a lot locally, and they produce kids who are really active in debate and remain active. Uh, so that's the, the real benefit of this activity is have a lot of people doing it, and then exactly. and you need – coaches for that not even they can be the world's crappiest coach if they can make a plane reservation or a hotel yeah. reservation yeah. or get the bus to show up on time and all this kind of or stuff run interference which, uh, with the school yeah i mean there are all <laughs> there's an awful lot of business that goes on and i mean i always I've, I've said this a million times in my blog and elsewhere um i think that the really best debaters benefit the least from the activity and it's the middle ground and even the lower ground of people who are introduced to something they wouldn't otherwise be doing, something they may not have a natural talent for, but they learn how to do it, are the ones who benefit the most. And those are the ones um, who aren't the mavericks going by themselves, but the ones who need a program to get them through. And I think you're right. It's great that there are new people coming up that are running really good programs and giving that sweat of doing all that other stuff. I mean, they're coaching too. I'm not saying they're not coaching, but it's all that other stuff that uh, is really important so that the real broad benefits of the activity are spread to as many people as possible. Very recently, one of my debaters paid me a very nice compliment where it was, uh, you know, again, this is not to to, to diminish the the hard work of the actual debating, but he made a comment about how very few debaters understand how many obstacles are in the way of having a very large team compete a lot, especially in a public school. But, you know, it's, I would imagine in a private school as well, you really have to fight for your right to debate, right? Uh, or your privilege to debate, I guess. And, and I think it's important that, that kids know that. Well, it's, I think it's, it's actually something that the adults in the community have failed at, and that is mm-hmm. taking advantage of 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 maybe where it does start off as an individual kid sure. who has the itch to debate and is able to have the resources and the uh, the the perseverance to make sure that they're able to debate that that we aren't on the phone with the administration mm-hmm. on the phone with the school board saying look you have this kid who wants to debate what can we do to find to find a coach for you too how can we find help you hire a teacher that would be interested in coaching yeah, I agree. so that we can so that we can so that we can build a program i mean look at you know uh uh mission san jose i mean uh-huh. you had a number of debaters i mean that was by design a student run program but as as a coaching community we need to be doing more to to make to to place coaches and 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 teachers with with um with with programs yeah. and 
you know, I think we have to do more too in just going into these teaching colleges, these teachers colleges and, you know, offering our services to teach them also how to become debate coaches. And, you know, I, I, I've said this a lot of times that it's not everyone's going to have the same addiction to debate that you, me and John and Jim to some degree probably have that because most of us that debate that, that, that are debate coaches and, and, and are willing to spend, you know, our weekends after weekends after weekends and, and early mornings and after school dedicated to this activity have a love that can't really be taught. But, you know, there are – I've seen people who have no debate background get excited about debate once they've, once they've experienced it. And I can understand, you know, some people give it a try and it's not for them and then they, they leave. Um, but often that, that can be a placeholder or that, or it can become be that they just want to have a team that does four tournaments a year. And, 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 and from that, something beer can build, but I think we need to do a better job of, of finding coaches for yeah. these, especially in LD where there is a lot of sort of, 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 I guess we, we've called them lone wolf debaters, um, where we're not doing a lot to try to talk to the schools in, in, in convincing them that that if you have one, maybe you have more that would be willing to do it. I agree. Um, and just what the benefits are of debate, that the, the administrations don't really understand it unless they have a good long history with debate. Right. You know, if you bring it to a new school, um, they say, oh, yeah, we got, you know, it's like good and nice and we're not going to give you any money. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I, 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 I think Beats is so dead on. One thing I want to add to that is I think that it's really important to – uh, in addition to recruiting new people. And, and policy debate, uh, especially urban policy debate, does a good job of this. Uh, there's a colleague of mine who works at, uh, at Bronx Science who for a while coached policy debate uh, at a school called Brandeis in a uh, high school in New York City, uh, Urban Debate League school. And I was talking to her the other day and I said, you know, I didn't know you debated in high school. She said, actually, I didn't. Uh, you know, Emory's Barclay Forum sponsors urban debate and they tried to contact individual teachers in New York City schools and help get people involved in coaching. I think yeah. that's awesome. Uh, LD should do more of that. I, I think that one one really good way to do this is to reach out to people who have been out of the activity. You know, there is an there is a hesitation on some parts, and, and and I have to say that my my only real source of disappointment this season has been a conversation or two I've had with some folks about dismay that people have been out of the activity for so long are getting involved again because they don't know what's going on. Well, of course they're not going to know what's going on in the beginning, but these are people who really care about debate who already had a love for it, get him involved again. One of my – one thing I, I'm so proud of is that a debater who is one of my closest friends who uh, who I used to coach, uh, Aracelis Beal, had been out of the activity for a while. Now she's doing a great job as the LD coach at Brooklyn Tech. And that's a team that had been fla- uh, foundering for a while. I think it's great that she's back. I think that reaching out to people who used to do debate, who left the activity and come back and do a, a lot of good. I mean, Anjan Chabri was out of the activity for a while, and I think he's right. done a pretty good job for himself as the head coach. So people who poo-poo, people who've been out for a while, need to think about what's going on at Walt Whitman and close their mouths and go get well, some a lot, of that, a lot of that is also seen – I know it's a little bit uh, facetious, but you know, people saying that they're that, – when people say that they're leaving debate, you know, and and they and they uh, sort of look look down on the people that are lifers or or whatever, uh, you know, I think that it's probably a, we need. I think that we should instill uh, at least to some degree uh, an ethic of giving back to to Great. to the people that that we coach to to even if it's if you can just keep them involved a little bit, maybe they'll uh, become excited enough yeah. to. 
to, to coach debate again. Let me say quickly two things about that. One of the great things that I tried to model myself after when I became the coach at Bronx Science is uh, Richard Sadico did an amazing job of getting Bronx Science alumni back to judge every once in a while. Um, I'm now starting, to, you know, I have a large enough alumni base that it's possible for me to do that. That's really important. And I think that anyone who's listening now who's a competitor or maybe a former debater, I, I know that, you know, times are tough financially, but giving up one weekend or so a year to your former team to help judge helps kids debate. Okay. And the other thing along those lines is that uh, that can be an avenue to start coaching. Uh, I, I wrote an article about this on Ask Cruz a while ago about the unbelievable, and actually this is something that should be noted as well, the unbelievable tree, if you will, of coaches that have originated from Pam Katie Wyckoff. I mean, she has coached so many people who have gone on to then become incredibly successful coaches on their own. Uh, you know, the, be encouraging, so you know, my point is that the flip side is true as well. You should be giving back to your teams, but coaches should also proactively keep in contact with their former debaters, right? Get the, keep them excited about debate, right? These are people who can give a lot not back just back to the team, but to the community as a whole. I think it's well, and, you know, we need to do a better job too to to say that if a kid, you know, that working with a with judging for a team doesn't have to be judging for a national circuit yeah, team. Exactly. It can also be if you go to college in a place where there are no national circuit schools, that doesn't mean that there isn't debate there, mm -hmm. and that there isn't Great. an opportunity to be involved there too. Agreed. Yeah, we're um, getting close to the hour, Mark. That's true. We can't get to that mark. That's just too long. Um, I think we've covered everything that we could possibly cover from the last decade, one way or the other. I think so. At least in the broadest sense. Maybe next week we can start getting back to other okay. stuff again. Wait, I, I want to do something. We weren't. We don't have a tech tip this no week. No tech tip. I want to make one prediction. We're going to have a prediction. Okay? This is my prediction for the new decade. For the whole okay. 10 years. So I have 10 years ten year. to wait until this ten, happens. 10 years. Or are you going to give me like 10 years By the end full of, of years. predictions? Okay, because okay. this is something that a few years ago I wasn't crazy about for a few reasons. But seeing the evolution of it, when we are even older and grayer. And we're doing I, don't, I can't get older and grayer. I have nothing to get gray with. What? Go ahead. When Jim Medic has a complete cue ball yes. going on, okay. He's wearing a diaper. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, now that we're talking about respecting our elders, okay. Anyway, yes. Uh, mm. <laughs> uh, that must. I bet that that laugh disrupted everybody's MP3 player. Okay. Sorry. Anyway, so when when the decade is out, there will no longer be paperbacks. I think there. Are, I think there will no longer be what paperbacks. Paperbacks. Okay. Ballots. 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 Oh, paper ballots. They're done. After victory briefs round robin this weekend, Josh Anderson, I saw it for me, was determined to not use paper ballots. So he set up a form spring form where people could input results um, directly into form spring. Uh, he ex he somehow exported the text from the. Um, I, I don't even, Josh doesn't strike me as a particularly technical person, yeah. but I guess he figured out this way. He exported the text out of TRPC into a form spring document or, or something like that. And it set up the round. Yeah. So as the judge, you just picked what round you were judging. You typed in the result and, uh, and then he was able, and then you actually just typed the comments. We, we left a space for comments. And at the end of the tournament, I think we emailed this to you, Cruz. Yeah, uh, I saw it. That's that. Well, that was the thing that convinced me when I saw. Yeah, that, I don't think there's any was, question about this. Yeah. No, no, no. But well, but you know what? 
Then again, I'm sure 10 years ago, people didn't think there would still be tournaments that aren't disclosing elimination round results. But this, I'm convinced, is I, I'm convinced we're going to see it, and it's going to be ending faster than we think. It'll be way before the decade is over. I mean, see, I mean, like you're talking about TRP, TRPC is nothing but a, it is, is an elementary database, and it's all just text fields. So what you have to do is add the text field, just go in and pick it up and drop it somewhere else. That's how come you can write something like Tab Room or something, and it works in it seamlessly. Sure. You know, every now, I mean, something that's complicated like the MJP takes a little while to iron out the details, but the general. Um, gist of it, these are very, and you look at the files in, in TRBZ, they're very straightforward text files. So, um, you know, the, the missing piece here is everybody having a device readily available to enter yeah. in the but data. But I think that's, I think that's going to, that's the other And thing the problem that goes with that, we can talk about this at a future date, is uh, monitoring the ability to communicate outside of the room on the part well, of the I debaters. Believe I, don't, I actually, okay, okay, I actually thought that we would at the victory... I think that there were kids at the tournament that didn't have laptops, but I was actually going to suggest that we run around where people are allowed to go on the internet and look for things. And, mm. and, and I mean, I, I don't, we should talk about that as a separate thing. Cause I think that's an interesting thing and I don't necessarily disagree with you, but um, yeah. that's a big topic. I mean, I, we were, I was talking about this on line on uh, blogs and dueling blog posts with Chris Palmer, who was talking about it from the point of view of extent. Right? Um, and what uh, whether we should have uh, computers in the extent prep and things like that. So I think this is a good topic. Never might just okay. grab Computer onto it next time. Computers. Okay, you know, I want to make one three second other prediction. Another prediction. John, this is the last one. It's going to be ten years will have passed. It'll be twenty eleven. This is my no. cheesy conclusion, but it's important. Oh, okay. Okay. Do I, cue in the music, ten right? years, Lincoln Douglas debate will be alive and well, no matter how many naysayers. And no matter how many doomsday broadcasts, I, 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 I've had moments where I've been very worried, and I really don't have those moments anymore. I think that ulti is going to be just fine. And that's my prediction. Isn't that emotion? Oh. It better be, otherwise I don't have a job. Well, that's also <laughs> true. That's, that's true. I'll play tooth and nail. I just have yeah, one I think we're going to be okay. All right. Well, we'll see. Okay. Join us 10 years from now, if in fact LD <laughs> still exists, and uh, find out how these predictions work. Or at least join us next week. All right, guys. I will see you and uh, take care. Have take a great care. Day. Bye. Good night. Hi, this is Ozzy Osbourne. For many years, you know I've had a drink problem and I'm, I'm trying to battle that problem every single day. But one thing I don't do, I don't drive my car when I'm drinking. I get someone to drive me. Do not drink and drive. It's the stupidest thing. If you drink, just don't drive. Not only are you going to hurt yourself, you may hurt some other person and you wouldn't want that on your conscience, would you? A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council.